If you're turning with me in your Bibles, you can. We're going to start in Galatians six. Galatians six, verse nine. If you're not turning with me, that's fine. We'll we'll have it up on the screen behind me. But today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about scars and stories and doing the right thing over and over and over. We do the right thing, but if you do the right thing one time and then you don't do it anymore, like it doesn't really do all that it was intended to do. So as God's people, we're supposed to do the right thing. So we're going to talk for a few minutes about that today and about doing the right thing. And But I also want to talk to you about your scars. Because I feel like everybody in the room, I, I know you've got some scars. I've got some scars. Physical scars. Mental, emotional, some of you got some spiritual scars. We've all got different kinds of scars. So we're going to spend a few minutes talking about your scars and how your scars can tell a story. Well, I guess not can tell a story. They do tell a story. You choose what story your scars will tell. Let's say it that way. But we'll start by talking about doing the right thing. Psychologists say that when you do the right thing, you get a hit of dopamine in your brain. It makes you feel good. Makes you feel like, yeah, I helped that person. I did the right thing. And then that in turn makes you want to do the right thing again. Because, hey, that made me feel better. Hey, that put me in a better mood. So now I want to do the right thing again. And when you get around somebody that's doing the right thing and, and they're liking that feeling, so they keep doing the right thing, then it becomes contagious and you form patterns of doing the right thing. That's how we have some people that just go around doing the right thing, doing good all the time, and some people don't. But it feels good to do the right thing. And on big things, we can all agree. Like, Most people in the world can agree on, like, you know, we've used the example before, like if I bring a little, well, all the kids are gone out of the service, but if I brought a little girl up here, and then I brought a grown man came walking up here, one of you big guys walked up here and started hitting the little girl, I would think and hope that every one of us in the room would say, that's wrong, to the point where I'm going to get up and stop it. Right? I'm going to do the right thing and stop this. There's no question of we're not going to sit there and think, now is this right or wrong? I wonder if, I mean, if that's okay for him to be hitting her in the face. No. We're going to stop it. Because we know that's the wrong thing. I, mean, I hope. I hope y'all are. I'll stop it if you don't. If you don't beat me to him. We can agree on on big things like that. But on smaller things that maybe aren't such a big deal, we try to find the gray sometimes. We'll try to justify it. And the more we do, the easier it becomes. Like, let me ask you a question. What if you pull up at a drive-thru window and the girl says, hello, that'll be $9.75, and you're like, what? I only ordered one number one. And she's like, yeah, you're at Zaxby's. And you're like, oh, yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so kidding. Uh, so you hand, her, you hand her a $10 bill, right? That'll cover it. 
she makes a mistake. This may have happened to you before. Something like this. Oh, probably not the same numbers and maybe the same restaurant, but something like this has probably happened to you. She thinks you handed her a 20. She throws it in the drawer. She hands you back $10.25 change. What do you do in that moment? You know you just handed her a $10 bill. And she got confused and thought you gave her a 20. The right thing is to hand her the 10 bucks back and say, hey, you made a mistake. I only gave you a 10. Here you go. But, I mean, I know some of y'all, it's my lucky day. <laughs> and you drive off or, yep, I knew. I'm glad I started tithing. The pastor said that, that uh, God was going to bless my finances. Here it is. Well, that's not how God's blessing you. Don't twist that, okay? Some of us will start to justify it like this. You, you might have said this to yourself before. Well, it's not my fault. She's the one that made the mistake. I didn't do it. What do you do? Don't yell it out or raise your hand. I just want you to think about it. You probably got a pretty good idea of what you do in that situation. So that's another just a small thing. Somebody gave you too much change, so what do you do with it? What about when you do good and you get slapped in the face? Ever had that happen? You do something good and it seems like you get punished for doing the right thing. You get punished for doing something good. I've had that happen before. One time I was running some errands for my boss and I worked over in East Point and I had gone and picked up some fruit because we had a homeless ministry over there and I was getting off of, off of 75 onto Cleveland and as I was getting off, there stands a homeless man with a cardboard sign that simply said, hungry. So, I think, man, I don't have any money, but I do have some oranges right here that we were going to give to homeless people later tonight. So why don't I just give him some of the fruit that I have in here? So I rolled down my window, and he walks over to the window, and I said, hey, man, uh, here you go. And I start to grab some of the fruit that I had just bought. It wasn't like old bad fruit or anything it was good and I handed him I don't remember I think a few oranges and an apple or something he said you got any money and I was like no I don't have any money but here's some food the light turns green this joker starts cussing and I'm like what so I just start driving off and pow here's something hit the back window of my truck and look back he's chunking the oranges at me as I'm driving off throwing the food that I just gave him and he had a good arm, right? He, he hit my truck pretty hard. I, I was worried he was going to crack the back window in my truck. So what happens when you feel like I'm doing good, like I, I did the right thing? I, God said he was hungry. I gave of what I had to help him out, and then what? He turned around and tried to bust the window in my truck. So what do you do when you do the right thing and it goes bad. You do the right thing and it's met with, I don't need you. I don't need your help. Well, I've got this one before. I don't need you holding a door for me. I can open my own doors. <laughs> okay. What do you do? You stop doing the right thing. You don't ever do a good thing again in the rest of your life. That's what you should do. Right? No. You keep doing it. 
Because if that makes you stop doing the right thing, then you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. As Jesus followers and as some scriptures we're about to look at and some things that we're going to break down over the next few minutes, we're going to see that we don't do the right thing for a result. Like we don't do the right thing so that we'll get the right thing done back to us. That's not the reason we do the right thing. Galatians 6, 9. Let's go ahead and read that. We do the right thing because it's who we are. It's who God's called us to be. We want to look like God. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. If we don't, if we do not give up, we're going to reap a harvest. Oh, so doing good is like planting seeds, Paul's telling us here. It's like I'm sowing seed. You know, when you sow seed, you don't reap a harvest immediately. You just keep putting it in the ground. Does every seed produce? No. A lot of it depends on the ground and it depends on where you put it. But you don't stop sowing. We don't give up. Verse 10 says, therefore, as... We have opportunity. Let us do good to some people. Or let us do good to the people that we like. It says, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul's saying we just keep doing good. So as we're planting seeds and we're reaping harvest, and we're doing good or we're doing the right thing, it becomes a pattern. It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a pattern in our brain that we see somebody that needs help and we help and we see a need and we give and, and we just do the right thing and somebody makes a mistake and we cover it and we help them. And that's how we start to look like God is we create this pattern and we just keep sowing seeds. We just do the next right thing. What if the last thing didn't work out? It's okay. Keep doing the right thing. Look at Micah 6, 8. This is how we live it out. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly. We'll come back to that. Do justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So the very first one, this is what we're supposed to do, three things. The first one, to do justly. To do justice. So if we want to be Jesus followers, we want to look like God, we want to walk out the call, we want to make the most out of this life, we're supposed to do justice. We're supposed to do the right thing. Not just like it, not just want justice in the world, not just as Jesus followers, we're supposed to do justice. Well, what do you mean, Dusty? Justice has an action. I don't just sit there and think, oh, well, that was wrong, like the little girl getting punched in the face. No, I do, I would serve justice immediately. Right? 
as Jesus followers, we do justice. It has an action. It doesn't say admire justice, love mercy, walk humbly. It doesn't say believe in justice. It says that we do justice. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You can't step back and say, Well, you know what? Justice isn't my responsibility. That's not what I'm called to. You don't get to do that. We're all called to it. We do justice. See, a man or a woman of integrity does justice. They make the world better. They act on behalf of others. That word, it was translated justly, do justly. It's a Hebrew word, and it means justice, judgment, law, regulation, that which is lawful or right. Do the right thing is what the whole first part of the message we've been talking about is do the right thing. That's, that's literally what it's saying. Do what's right. Do justice. Do the right thing. Don't just love it. Don't just cheer when somebody else does the right thing. Although that's a good idea. But you're supposed to be doing it yourself. It's a choice. We have a, I think we have a video clip. Did we have, we able to get that up? It's from one of my favorite movies of all time. Remember the Titans. Hey, Mr. Fisher. Mr. Fisher, can I talk to you for a second? Back off, coach, if you want to stay in this game. I've got holding on 78 white. What are you... Are you trying to cheat my boys out the game? 15 more yards. Listen, let them play, ref. Let them play. Reasonable. Let them play. Let the boys play. Cheetah. Coach, come on. Cheetah. Coach. Go, 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 go! Oh, come on! What was that? Oh. What are you playing? That wasn't a hold? Oh, come on! That was such a bad call! Hey, this! I know all about it, Titus. What are you talking about, Bill? You call this game fair. Or I'll go to the papers. I don't care if I go down with you. But before God, I swear I'll see every last one of you thrown in jail. You dig your own grave. Defense on me! Okay, Petey, 
Don't you drift to the strong side. Coach, they're calling a holding penalty on me every time. Did I ask for your excuses? You want to act like a star? You better give me a star effort. Do you hear me? Forget about him. Alan, you're in. Come on. All right. Now, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night. And if they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm going to take every last one of you out. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. Leave no doubt. Make yourself comfortable down there. Real comfortable. <laughs> 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 That one was for you, coach. All right, baby. All right. You brought us here, coach. Run it up, Herman. Leave no doubt. Doing the right thing costed him the head coaching job. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but they were supposed to lose that game and they were going to get rid of Coach Boone, right? And because of it was race, racial issues. And he chose in that moment, even though he knew it was going to cost him, it would cost him the head coaching job, it was going to cost him a lot to do the right thing. To step up and do the right thing even though he knew he was going to lose a lot. Personally, like he was going to lose financially, he was going to lose a position, he was going to lose respect among the school board and all the leaders and whoever, the community. He stood to lose a lot. But doing the wrong thing would have costed the team. They would have lost. And it would have contributed to the evil of racism. James 4.17 says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Wait, but I didn't do evil. James, Jesus' brother, I just read you the scripture. James said, hey, you know what? Anybody that knows the good thing that he should do and doesn't do it, that's a sin too. That's just like you doing the wrong thing. When you know the right thing to do and you choose not to do it. Well, I didn't do anything bad. 
but you didn't do the right thing. At Romans 12, 20. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. When it's in your power to help, help. It's going to cost you. But nothing you do for God is a waste of time or effort. Sometimes doing the right thing. Sometimes doing what we're called to do. Sometimes being generous or being the man or woman that God's called you to be. It's going to cost you. There will be sacrifice required. But it's never a waste of time or effort. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. With all this going for us, my dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. So do justly. Let's do the right thing. We do justice. And the second one was, and to love mercy. We're supposed to love mercy. So what you love, you start to look like over time. The thing that you love most, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, is that you start to look more and more like the thing that you love the most. It's called creative affinity. So here, we are instructed to do the right thing and to love mercy. Because what you love, you start to look like. And what you love, you build. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. They look in the mirror and know we need mercy ourselves. Mercy, the word that was translated mercy, it's also a Hebrew word. And it means unfailing love, loyal love, kindness, goodness, favor good deeds wicked thing I was reading the definitions and I was like yeah good deeds that's what we've been talking about doing the right thing uh, loyal unfailing love goodness favor wicked thing what we love mercy even when we see the wicked or someone we deem wicked, undeserving, getting mercy. See, we're not the judge. We don't choose who gets mercy. We're instructed to love mercy. We weren't instructed to do mercy. Right? We were instructed to do the right thing. We were instructed to do justice, but we're instructed to love mercy. I love mercy. I give mercy. And you know what? I, I, it's easy for me to love mercy when it's directed towards me. Because I want mercy. So real easy for me to accept mercy. But guess what? There's some people that I think, man, well, he don't deserve mercy. 
do justice to him. Well, she, she doesn't deserve mercy. We're supposed to love mercy. Even when mercy is spent on what we see as a wicked thing. You've probably heard the definition of mercy as it's getting something that you deserve. It, wait a minute. I said that wrong. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. Right? You deserve punishment and you don't get it. Sorry, got mixed up on that for a second. Mercy. We're instructed to love mercy. We don't love justice and do mercy. And I'm sad to say that as I studied this out and thought about it, there have been times in my life, and I know some, some fellow Christians and some other people, and it looks more like they love justice, right? And they do mercy. And that's backwards. And, and we don't look like God when we do that. We don't love justice and do mercy. We love mercy. It's a choice. Just like love is a choice. To love mercy, that's a choice. Sometimes I don't love mercy. But I choose to. If we only do justice... We only go around doing the right thing. Justice will be served. I'm going to do justice and follow the law. And we're going to, if we only do justice and we don't love mercy, then we're going to be angry, arrogant, judgmental. Oh, I've met some Christians like that. I've found myself in that boat before. Oh, this is wrong and this is right. And you, but not loving mercy we're missing a key ingredient the third one was walk humbly with your God so I was thinking okay we do justice we love mercy and then we walk humbly so we do justice that's what we do but do you know I can do something and stay in the same spot? I'm not going anywhere. I'm not advancing. If I'm just doing something, I can stand here and do something and never go anywhere. I'm just still going to stand right here, but I, I'm doing something. So we can do justice and we love mercy, but then he ends it with walk humbly. As you advance and as you gain ground and as you walk into new positions and into new territory and into the promised land and the place that God has for you in your life, I want you to walk humbly. The word humbly is to show a humble walk with God. Humble, lowly. It is to take a lower position. It's to see yourself not above everyone. But to take second, 
to prefer someone else over yourself. It is not thinking and acting like you're higher or above other people. God's people don't step on other people to get to the top. In fact, we look for people that are low and we give them a foothold. We help them up. We lift them up. That's what we do as God's people. That's walking humbly with our God. We all have scars. We all have a past. We all have ugly. We all have hurt. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. It's okay, I've already beat it. Like, you're going to run into problems. You're going to have bad things happen and hard times happen. But it's okay. Because you can look at the way I lived my life as a man, and I'm going to show you how. Jesus did it. He walked through it. But I want to remind you today as we wrap this up that your scars tell a story and your choices will determine whether it's a story of grace and freedom or a story of pain and bondage. I know you lost a lot of blood when you got wounded. Right? I know you lost a lot of time. I know some of you lost your health. Some of you might have lost mobility. I think everybody in this room has lost something. Probably in the last year. Could be a friendship or a job or money. We've all lost something. Whatever it was it can make transition into the new very hard if you don't figure out how to let go and find healing. Joshua lost the leader. He lost Moses, his hero, his leader, the one that heard from God and came back and spoke to him, the one that brought them out of slavery. He lost Moses. And you know what happened right after he lost Moses? He not only had to take over, but bam, there's Jericho. God called him to do what Moses couldn't do. Lead the people across the Jordan River and face the greatest challenge they had ever faced. He's mourning the loss of Moses, but he had to shift his focus. You need to refocus and look forward to what God will do now. If you're so busy staring at your past, you're going to crash into your future. You can't keep looking back. You need to focus and look forward to what God will do now. God told Samuel, how long will you mourn over Saul? It's time for the new. I've anointed David. How long are you going to keep crying over the old king? I'm trying to do a new thing. Paul said, I don't have it all together, like I'm a work in progress, but one thing I do, forgetting the past, I press on towards the calling that God has on my life. I keep moving forward. You see, your story can be a story of loss or a story of restoration. You get to choose. And I'm talking to every one of us in the room. Me too. Paul had a story to tell. 
And Paul had the scars to prove it. The physical scars on his body, the emotional scars, the spiritual scars where the religious leaders came after him. I mean, Paul had some scars. And Paul had the greatest influence on the church than, I mean, arguably anyone other than Jesus Paul wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul wrote all the letters to the churches and helped set up churches and reach the Gentiles and reached across the whole world. But Paul had some major scars. Galatians 6, 17. Paul writes this. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's talking about physical scars that are on his body, like Jesus. He gives a list of them, of some of the scars and the things he went through in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. Stick with me, we're almost done. Look at a few of the things that Paul went through, especially if you're feeling down on yourself or feeling like you've just had a really rough time. Listen to some of the things Paul went through. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Because by law, they were only allowed to give them 39. If you gave them 40, it could kill them. With a cat of nine tails like Jesus was whipped with. Paul went through that five times. Whipped with a cat of nine tails. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. People that I thought were on my side, on my team. They even hurt me. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. Paul's talking about some serious scars. I don't think any of you have any physical scars nearly as bad as what Paul's talking about. I mean, I can point out some scars on my body and I can tell you a story. But some of these things, if we just point out one thing, what, what I started with there in verse 24, the thing that Paul started with, he was whipped with a cat of nine tails five times. 39 lashes each time. I don't know if you've ever heard, and I'm not going to get into too much detail because I know around Easter we got pretty graphic with it a couple times, like explaining what the cat of nine tails does, but it literally grabs the flesh and rips it. It tears through muscle, it tears through nerves, it goes down to the bone. And being whipped 39 times with the cat of nine tails can kill you. It's so severe across your shoulders and your back. 
this happened to Paul five different times. So in, in reading about this and studying about it this week and reading some commentaries, they say that the scar tissue would have been so thick on his back after five times that he wouldn't even be able to put on his own sandals. He wouldn't be able to bend or move. That it would have ripped the muscles and the tissue and the nerves would be completely destroyed and gone out of his back. That even nowadays with the medical technology that we have, that even with major surgeries, they wouldn't be able to repair his back and his shoulders so that he probably couldn't even lift his arms. His, he was a handicapped man that couldn't even put on his own shoes. He would have had to have help for that. The scar tissue would have been so thick and probably so painful that he couldn't lay on his back even to sleep. That's some serious scars. I don't know about you, but I don't have any scars that bad. Paul had some major scars, but yet Paul used it for God's glory. Paul wrote the Bible. Paul started churches. Paul was such a breath of fresh air that that when he was chained up in prison, they had to rotate the Roman guards every hour because if they left them with Paul longer than that, he would convert them. So it's a real thing. They had to, every hour, they would change shifts on the guards because they're like, he's converting all our guards. They're following Jesus. How could a man that had been through that much pain, that much hurt, that much betrayal, that much heartache, that much loss, Be so contagious. Share the message of Jesus so effectively. Be just a fresh breath of air and life. And, and so much so that if you listen to him talk for long enough, you just wanted what he had. That's, that's what we're supposed to look like. That's what we're supposed to be. No matter what we've been through. In fact, the more we've gone through, the greater the story. Right? The crazier the scars, the bigger the challenge, the, the more times we've been knocked down. If we beat it, if we overcome, the greater the testimony. And Revelation tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus died on the cross for all of us. That's the blood of the Lamb. And what? The word of our testimony. That's how we overcome. That's how we walk in freedom. See, Paul had some crazy scars. And then Paul said in verse 30, I don't think I read verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I'm not even going to tell you all the good things. And if I must boast, I'm going to tell you my weaknesses. I'm going to tell you the trials. I'm going to tell you about my scars. You know, people listen when you start talking to them about a scar. You start giving a testimony. We found that out at youth camp. Right, we've had a lot of speakers come in for our chapel services at youth camp. And some good speakers and some we didn't invite back. Right? <laughs> over, the, over the years. But I can tell you one thing. If somebody gets up here and is real and starts telling their story and things that they've struggled with and, 
and rolling up their sleeves and showing some scars, guess what? The teenagers listen. Even if they're not as good of a speaker as somebody else, they're real. They're not afraid to show their scars. Paul says in the next chapter, um, in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul goes on to talk more about his, his weakness and, and what God's done through it. He says, because of the extravagance of those revelations. And so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. But what he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. Remember to walk humbly with your God part. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift. And I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap. I quit focusing on the bad thing. I quit focusing on the hurt and the pain. And I began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Paul said, let it come. Bring it on. I'm going to keep doing the right thing. I'm going to keep loving mercy. And I'm going to let my weaknesses and my limitations and the things I've been through help me walk humbly before my God. He learned to focus and give his weakness or his pain to God. So God, what do you want from me? I want to be a part of your team. I want to be a part of your story, God. So, so what is it that you want from me? See, on a job resume, we list all of our qualifications, all the good things, all of our strengths, all of our past successes at other jobs and with other employers. We list everything that we're good at when we're trying to get a job. So, so I think sometimes we come to God that way. God, I want to be a big part of what you're doing. So, so here's what I can bring to the table, right? Here's how I can help, God. This is what I can do to advance your kingdom. I've got this talent. And God's like, okay, cool. That's great. Awesome. Good talent. I know I gave it to you. Right? I gave you that. I mean, it's really cool when your kid gives you, like when you give your kid money and then they give it to you for a present. And, but, I mean, it's nice and you're happy, but you gave it to them and then they gave it back to you. It's way different when they get a little bit older or they learn they go out and make some money on their own and decide to buy you something with their own money that they sacrificed to get. Right? And so I, I thought about that as I was studying this and like, like God, I, I give you my talent and God's like, cool, but I gave that to you. I'm looking for something else. Okay, God, like, how about my mind? I've got my mind. I have a pretty crazy cool weird mind and God's like yeah I formed you in your mother's womb 
I, I gave you that mind. I designed the way you think. So thank you for giving it back to me, but I gave you that. I'm looking for something more. Oh, okay, God, what about my breath, my life, just the very breath in my lungs? God's like, yeah, I breathe that breath into you. I gave you life. Then God, I don't get it. What is it that you want from me? I want the thing that I didn't give you. That's why I sent Jesus. I want your sin. I want your guilt. God says, I want your shame. I want the thing I did not give you. As we close out the service, I want you to, to pick a word in your head if you can think of a word that describes your guilt, that describes your shame, describes your sin, something you're struggling with lately. Just get it in your head. You're not going to have to share it or come up here and write it on the board. I feel like God's doing something as we close. So I want you to just pick a word. I don't know if it's porn or rape or fear or hate. Maybe it's abuse or anger. Maybe it's alcohol or pride. Maybe it's church family or divorce an area of pain but you probably think about it often especially if it's not healed you got it today your father is asking will you give it to me that's what I need you to give me I want you to be healed I want to heal you so it's a scar, not an open wound. Will you give it to me? And I say, how, God? Yeah, but how do I let go? How do I give it to you? You must replace it with something greater. And there's no name, there's no word greater than Jesus. To him has been given a name that is above every other name. Every name in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, there is no name, there is no word greater than the name of Jesus. And there is no sin and no wrong and no guilt and no shame that his blood did not and cannot cover. Will you release it? Guys, this is the great exchange. We get to bring our ugly. And he gives us beauty for ashes. He redeems our mistakes and gives us purpose. This is what was done for us on the cross. It's, it's not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And when we were at our worst, he sent Jesus to die for us. It's the great exchange. How do we look like God? We do justice. We do the right thing. We love mercy. We walk humbly. 
and we give him our pain. And our scars tell the story of redemption. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for reminding us who we are and what we're supposed to look like. God, today we give you our sin. We give you our guilt. We give you our shame. We replace it with the name of Jesus. God, today I thank you for my scars. I thank you for every area of my life that I can look at and say, yeah, that was painful, but it's healed. Yeah, that was painful, but God came through in a big way. Yeah, it was painful, but I saw God's people rally together. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you that you pick us up every time we fall down. You're a good dad. We love you. Thanks for loving us. And God, please bless the food that, that we're about to eat. Keep everybody safe out on the ball field. We have some good fun and fellowship and competition. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.